Welcome to Ipso Facto with comedian, actor, and star of HBO's Arliss, Robert Wall. Here we'll talk with people on a variety of subjects, everything from sports to movies to pop culture to food, politics, you name it. This is Ipso Facto with Robert Wall. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Ipso Facto, the name of the show. I'm your host, Robert Wall. I thank you for joining us today. And, uh... I don't know if you could see me smiling over the radio. You probably can't. But I am smiling because uh, online with me is a, a, a friend who uh, I, I'm smiling because we talked about for many years about kickers not getting their due into the Football Hall of Fame. And yet, just a couple of weeks ago, this man was inducted. He is uh, the all-time leading scorer in the NFL. I don't know how many records this guy holds here. Seven-time Pro Bowl. I mean, the records are staggering. Uh, anyway, my guest, newest Hall of Famer, my friend Morton Anderson. Morton, how are you, buddy? Great, Robert. Feeling pretty good. Uh, finally landing, I think, back on Earth after a couple of weeks up there in the uh, stratosphere. It was, it was it, pretty cool ride so far. Okay, uh, let me. Uh, congratulations, of course, but let me go Thanks. through this for a second. H- how do they vote? Now, that's a real advocacy thing, how they vote in the Hall of Fame for the NFL. Describe to me the procedure of how the voting and how you're nominated and everything happens. It starts back in uh, August. Anybody can nominate anybody at that point. So you get a pool of 120, 130 guys. And then that's cut around Thanksgiving to 25 guys. Uh, Now, the people that make the vote, that vote and make the cuts, are 48 guys, 46 journalists, uh, some at large, some, um, you know, just all over the country, in all the NFL markets, people that cover, uh, it could be beat writers and so forth, people that cover uh, the NFL on a daily basis and are familiar with the players, past and present. Then you have two Hall of Famers. You have Dan Fouts from the uh, quarterback, San Diego Chargers, and um, and Mr. Lofton, uh, wide receiver, um, Green Bay Packers. James Lofton, yes. James Lofton and other teams, and those two have been added as voters. So there's 48 voters, and so once they cut to 25, that's done by mail. They cut by mail again. They cut it to 15 modern era, and then they also have a senior selection and a contributor. It could be a coach or it could be a uh, an owner. In this case, uh, Jerry Jones that got in, uh, general manager. So. Um, we ended up this year with a class of, uh, you know, a finalist of 18 guys, including 15 modern day guys. And then those 18 guys will go to the Saturday before the Super Bowl and they will be considered uh, in a room uh, where all these 48 voters sit together all Saturday. And in this case, uh, two weeks ago, they sat there for 10 hours plus. Let me stop and, you here. Let me stop you here for a second. Go ahead. Sure. Do the 18 finalists physically go there? Yes. So yes. wait, so the guys who don't make the cut, it's like a job interview and they got to uh, and they got to sit through this thing? I mean, how okay, I'll how, tell you. how many years sure. did you have to go through this? Uh, well, yeah, let me I'll finish, tell, I'll tell finish you your story. Finish your story. Go ahead. Yeah, it's pretty uh it's pretty brutal. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure, but so, 18 guys. They go to Houston, or in my case, Houston. I've been to San Francisco. I've done the other. This is my this was my fourth year as a finalist. It was my fifth year eligible. The first year I made the semifinals was 25, 
And then the last four years I've made it, I made it as a finalist, which means I was just among the 15 modern day. But that doesn't mean that it's over by any stretch of the imagination, because now the real lobbying starts. And so for me, it was Jeff Duncan and uh, David Ledbetter uh, from Atlanta and New Orleans, respectively, and also had uh, a lot of uh, help from uh, Rick Goslin in Dallas and other other people that were in my corner. But it was mainly Jeff who gets up, and they basically, I think they do the senior selection first, and then they go, I don't know if they go alphabetically or whatever, but um, I don't think so because I was at the end this year, Jeff said. I was like second to last. And so he basically goes for, and so I'm not new in the room, so the, everybody knows my stats. Everybody knows, you know, what skins are hanging on the wall. And I think the two things that were brought up this year that might have made a difference was number one, of course, the all-time leading scorer in the history of the game. But also, I I was the only one in the room, the only candidate in the room, who was on all two-decade teams, the 80s and the 90s. Nobody else in the room had that. And I think that may have made an impression. I felt I had momentum uh, going into Saturday because Friday I talked to some Hall of Famers and they said, it looks good for you. I I don't know how they know that, but maybe they know stuff I don't know. (laughs) So... Anyway, you got to get 80%. So 80% of 48 guys, that's an easy number to figure out. And you got to get it in every round because they'll cut from 15 to 10, and then they'll cut from 10 to 5, and then they'll still have to vote on the five that they end up with. And if you don't get 80% in each round, you're out. I mean, it's basically a yes or no. Once they get to five, it's a yes or no. And if you don't get 80%, you're gone. You better luck next year. And then... Now, the way it's told to you is you get a phone call. You're asked to be in your room, in, in, the, in this case in Houston, 3.30 Central Time. And you sit there, and between 4 and 5 Central Time, you should either get a call on your cell phone, which they have, of course, or a knock on the door, and they have the room number. And so the other years, of course, it's been a uh, it's been a phone call. We regret to inform you, Ugh. and so forth. Not, and that that waiting in the room is just brutal because you just you want to turn your phone off. You know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you don't want the phone call. So this year, I, I I was in the room already at three. I mean, I figured, well, you know what? If they start early, they can't fool me. I'm there early, so. I'm there with the, my wife and, and a couple of friends and hanging out, and 4 o'clock comes and 4.30, and then 5 o'clock comes. Now I knew come 5 o'clock, the ones that didn't make it have to be on a bus to go to the NFL Honor Show where the announcement's going to be made. Well, 5 o'clock came, and there was no phone call, so I'm thinking to myself, hmm, that ought to be good news. But then it became like 5.30 and still nothing. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, I, I was I was asking Jen. I said, "Do you think they forgot about me?" She goes, "No, surely not. They, they didn't forget about you. They know what room you're in. They know your phone number." I said, "Well, they haven't called, so I, I'm guessing that's a good omen." And then at five thirty-two, there was a tremendous banging on the door. I knew Dave Baker's a, a big man, so I ran to the door, and uh, there he was. You know, welcome to Canton. That was uh, that was a moment, man. Whew, that was a moment. Talking here with Morton Anderson, most recent inductee. No, he hasn't been inducted yet. Recent recipient uh, for the NFL Hall of Fame. Now, for those of you, uh, I want let's talk about the kicker thing because there's only been one kicker 
inducted before you, the great Jan Stenerud, before you in the Hall of Fame. And it, it seems, I understand, you know, but I mean, if it's going to come down this year to you or Terrell Owens, it was, <laughs> uh, you can wait a year. Um, I'm happy. Yeah, really. I'm happy with me. Really, it's no kidding. Uh, first of all, how much does it suck the other years when you didn't get in? It, it's you know it's the world of suck but then i also realized there's a whole bunch of other guys who had waited a lot longer than me let's take kenny easley this year the senior selection he waited 20 years great guy went at 23 22 years yeah. so you know lynn swan waited 14 15 whatever it was 17 years and he was on the final he was a finalist forever Tim brown i mean lots of guys that waited longer than five years five years really not that long a time, especially when you you think about being a specialist and, and being only the second, you know, Ray Guy was a punter and a specialist, but the second pure kicker to go in, five years really not that bad, if I really start no, thinking I, I about should, it. Uh, no, not really, especially when you consider Ray Guy. That, that injustice... Yeah, I mean, Rich Eisen and I used to talk about this all the time. I said, you know, mm-hmm. here's what I don't get. I go, I don't... You can argue, there's arguments about who the greatest quarterback is of all time. There's arguments about who the greatest, maybe Jerry Rice has been generally conceived the wide receiver, but you can get an argument at every position except punter. I said, there's, and I said, except punter. And I remember um, uh, Peter King. Peter King was tough on this thing. And I'd say, how don't you have Ray Guy in the Hall of Fame? I go, Peter, you saw him play. He goes, well, Sammy mm-hmm. Ball had a better average. I go, you saw him play. I go, but Peter was tough on me, and Peter was tough on me. I'm and sure. Came around, he came around this year. Well, that's good. You know, and, I, vo- and voted for me. So. Well, exactly. I mean, you have to. I mean, I spoke to John Madden once about this. And he said, I'll tell you how great Ray Guy is. This is how good. We game planned for Ray Guy. He goes, oh, yeah. we, we game planned for him because we would try stuff that we shouldn't try, perhaps. But we knew Ray would kick us out and get us out of it. Yeah. He said, so we could do that. that that's a force. Uh, Ray Guy was oh, yeah. special. Now, now that you're in, though, here's a question I have. How, or, or I don't know how, are you going to be an advocate for other kickers? I mean, what's hysterical, of course, is you get confused all the time with Gary Anderson. And, <laughs> and he's right. I mean, if you look at the two of you, you're one-two in every category. Well, and, Gary was a great player. Uh, and I say player. I cho- choose that word uh, because the game of football is so specialized now. And you can't tell me that just because you put the foot to the ball that you're the only specialist on the field. Well, how would you, how would you describe a... The pass rusher comes in on third down and then he leaves on the next down. Right, Nickelback. Right. Or Nickelback. Right. I mean, the, the, the game is full of uh, specialization. And so, yeah, you can call a specialist, but I, I dare to say that, uh, that a Charles Haley on third down was a specialist and uh, lots of other players are specialists. So just because you don't have dirt on your uniform, you don't put the knuckles on the, in the ground, and you have maybe only 15 plays a game, Still, you're a player, and you put points on the board, and it's called football. Yeah, no, I'm with you with that. So, and so yeah, so uh, you know, I think that would be my argument. I mean, that would be the whole my, my whole sentiment on 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 specialization and 
why it's relevant. That that said, talking here with Morton Anderson. That said, who would be the two guys? Who of the who's either been overlooked or is playing today would be the guys you'd say that you would say this guy should be in the Hall of Fame. These, this. Well, so for a kicker, I would have to look, look at a Jason Hansen or Gary Anderson or even a Eddie Murray or Adam Adam Minichieri. His yeah. work's not done yet. Uh, Tucker is too young. Uh, you know, so Janikowski is still playing. These are all guys that potentially, when their work's done, let's look at it and let's. And it's you cannot compare errors because it, it the game has changed. Yes, you cannot. The game do has it. evolved. You cannot you can't do, do it. You can't do it in any position, really. In any sport. You know? In any sport. No, you really can't. You How just about golfers? How about golfers? When you go to, when, yeah, we, you when we play when we play in the yeah. East Lake and you see when you go to that club <laughs> and you see the equipment that these guys played with those wooden yeah. shafts and I say, yeah. how the hell did he shoot sixty seven with this? Yeah, the niplet, the the mashy niplet. Yeah, right. <laughs> Give me a break. You know, blades. They were playing blades, for God's sake. That's right. Cavity balance club. Yeah, I know. You know, look <laughs> at on. the size of the driver then and now. Yeah, by the way, are you back playing golf now? I haven't been playing lately much. Uh... Uh, I made it back. Last time you said it, you had a little back or something. Yeah, I had the back. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, that's right. That was my wrist when I couldn't play. Yes. Wrist, no, that's yes. right. I haven't played much, not because of the wrist. I had some back trouble, but I just haven't had no. t- found the time as much to play. I've been traveling so wow. much. I know. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I haven't. And golf takes a long damn time. You know, I realized it just <laughs> takes a damn time. long. I uh, love it, though. I, I, I totally it. get it, but I have to commit. I have to really commit to it. Anyway, so I'll play with you. All right. I'll wait to play with okay. you. Uh, All right, we'll do that. A couple of questions I wanted to ask you about the actual craft uh, of the kicker. The first mm-hmm. thing is, is uh, one is about the ball itself. You know, we had mm-hmm. all this stuff with the flake gate and this gate and that gate. Did you like a certain ball a certain way? I liked the ball the quarterback liked because I didn't have a say. Okay. Whatever the quarterback liked, okay. that's what I was kicking. Yeah. And so, a lot of times we were kicking balls that were right out of the right out of the bag. So we, you know, you weren't allowed. And now they have the K balls and they could work them. And, so so that changed too. But all th- all things okay, like you said, the quarterback had the ball. But did you like the ball a little bit more inflated, less inflated? I mean, what is? I prefer a big fat one, you know, sure. because it's a big sweet spot. But uh, I didn't really have a say in it. So it was like, you know, whatever. And it should be that way. Whatever The quarterback's the, the, the guy on the field that handles the ball the most, and it should be catered to him. I yeah, believe that. You know, it's funny. When this whole story broke at first time, I saw Dan Marino saying, we all did that. We, what, yeah. what is this big deal about this? And, it depends on the hand size. You know, do you have a small hand, a big hand? I mean, it, it, it's all, you know, it's a very subjective thing and uh, much to do about nothing. The uh, I, I also the next thing is the actual uh, field itself. How much did the field? I mean, obviously, it's not the how much, but are there certain fields you like better than others? Like I know pitchers in baseball, they love the mound at, at Dodger Stadium. They'll tell you there's certain fields that you know just better fields. Yeah, I yeah mean, well, Tampa Bay was great back in the day, and uh, and then Philly was horrible. Chicago is horrible because it has sand underneath it, and also the team doesn't handle it. The city of Chicago handles the field, so that's a whole other uh, situation. But the thing about us, you know, we didn't have back in the day. Now you have special long snappers, and that's all they do. Back in the day, you were lucky to get, and you need to have Jan Stenerud on your show because he'll give you some perspective, some historical perspective of what it was like to kick 
back when you didn't, you may get five uh, live kicks a week with a center who's the starting center. There was no long snappers. Right. It was whoever, you know, if you're center, you're long snapping on field goals and punts. There was, this, there was nothing like that. And you, there, there was no holder. I mean, you would use usually the punter or backup quarterback. But there was no time. It wasn't like you had separate time with those guys like they do now. Now they're off to the side for hours on on, on end. That's why that's why guys are so good now. It's it's you know there's more time devoted to it. Back in the day, there was we had the starting center, and you're lucky to get five to ten a week live, and you're lucky to get a few every day with him because he's he's doing everything. He's he's the starting center. You don't have time. Right, right. No time for the kicker. <laughs> yeah, really. And by the way, so Jan, Jan really has good stories on this, and and uh, and great perspective on it from from just a historical perspective that will kind of go. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play it. You're listening to Ipso Facto with Robert Wool. I'm speaking here with uh, recent Hall of Fame, new Hall of Famer, uh, Morgan Anderson. By the way, people don't understand something else, too, about the commercial aspects of being able to put HOF after your name. Uh, I've told this to people all the time when we talk about baseball players. I go, well... I go, especially the old guy, the older guys who didn't make the money that they make today. I go, when you, when you go to these card shows, if you can put HOF after the rest of your name, you could probably, you know, that that's worth at least, you know, that's a six digit for sure. Uh, well, I think what happens is that, of course, it elevates everything and the platform's bigger and, and so forth. And it's how you use it, and you know, hopefully, you know, I'll use it the right way and, and do good work and raise lots of money and sure. and make a, and, and make a little money too. Uh, I mean, I'm not shy to say that. I think so. Let's say hypothetically, you, you get twenty dollars a signature at a card show. Now you'll get forty, forty-five. It'll See, double. Yeah, there you go. That's basically, yeah. So it's you know that's it's fine, but that's really uh, that that's going to drive. I mean, that that those are. There's, there are three big shows, okay? There's, there's Virginia, Chicago, Dallas. So there's big big shows around the country, and then you'll go there and you'll make that circuit, but next year there's another class coming. And so, you know, it's 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 short-term, you know. Yeah. But HOF is is for life, and you have a bronze bust in Canton that lasts 40,000 years and a gold jacket that hopefully you can wear the rest of your life. And uh, a lot of Hall of Famers, when they pass, Pass on, they'll be buried in their gold jacket, <laughs> and uh, they will. I mean, that's that's in their last will and testament, and <laughs> and uh, and the ring, a big ring, the size of a uh, you know a Ford Escort on your finger. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> so there's lots of you know perks, but I think the most important thing is to remember is that you're part of a very exclusive club of 310 men, about 170 plus living, but 310. And my number is 304. Um, I'll be right after Mr. Stanfell, who is 303. And then, um, you know, we'll be in the class of 2017. It's going to be an awesome, awesome experience. And it's an awesome, awesome responsibility, Robert, also to to conduct yourself uh, with ex- personal excellence and to do good work. That's my opinion. Like O.J.? No, not like <laughs> O.J. 
unfortunately. <laughs> um, you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, uh, Morton. Here's a here's I was speaking just more on a, from a personal level. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, here's a question I have. My uh, my engineer here, uh, my producer here, is the, the great Anthony McKenzie. He's a Kansas City Chief. He's a Kansas City. Uh, he's from Kansas City. And here's the important questions we have to ask you. He'll be coming on in a second. First of all, I'll ask you the most important question off the bat. Kansas City, were you Arthur Bryant's Gates Barbecue or Oklahoma Joe's? Oh, boy. You know, I think I was Gates. Gates is good. I mean, though, you, you can't go wrong. I mean, Anthony, you know, it's I like. I think I was Gates. Yeah, I think I was Gates. It, but, um, you know, I love Kansas City. What a great, and what a great football town. It was college atmosphere, and you could smell the barbecue, you know, from miles away when you drove in on game day. Loved it. It was like a gauntlet. And you would, I would just roll down my windows and go, oh, man, it's, it's, it's a home game in the fall with the Chiefs and 80,000 people in red. It was it was awesome. I was there two years, unfortunately. I wish I'd been there longer, but it was one of my favorite, favorite NFL uh, memories. Anthony, what do you want to ask me about those Chief teams? 2000, 2003? 2002, 2003 were my years there. We were offensively unbelievable. Who was, the, uh, who was, the, who was there then? Trent Green. Trent, Trent Green. Green was a quarterback. And, uh, uh, yeah, uh, just really good uh, Really good teams ran the ball, uh, and uh, we had we had some explosive offensive. Made it to the playoffs and got beat by the Colts, unfortunately. But uh, at home, we had home field. Yeah, yeah. no punt game. It was cold in the winter, man. I remember that. I remember a story with Vermeil. We're playing the Raiders in December. I think it was 2002. And we're down by two points, and we're driving, and we had a wide receiver named Mark Bowick, if you might remember him, and he caught a little um, out for for a first down to put us into field goal range. We had about a 35-yard field goal, and um, two seconds to go, down to snow's coming in sideways, hitting my face mask, and I, was, I took the field, and you know, fully aware of what's what's about to happen. I had to look over during the timeout the Raiders had called, and, and uh, Dick Vermeule's like, come here, come here, come here. And I would never usually do that. I mean, I usually had my pre-kick routine, so I, I would normally not uh, engage in, in any type of conversation with anybody because I'm, you know, I'm about to win, win the football game here in front of 80,000 people and millions out there uh, watching it. So I said, well, you know, meet me halfway. So he met me halfway out there. He goes, he grabbed my shoulder, he goes, Hey, Morton, when, when you make this kick, I got a bottle of wine for you. And I said, oh, great, because we both love to talk wine. And he has a, a vineyard in Calistoga, and I love collecting wine. So I said, well, what do you have? He goes, uh, Brian, Brian Family Vineyard. Have you heard of that? And I had. I knew uh, it was a $500 bottle of uh, cult wine from Napa. So I knew it was a damn good bottle of wine. And I said, well, that, that's great, Coach. What year? He goes, 90, 98. It was a, I go, you know, 97 is a better year, Coach. You know that. Because <laughs> I know I got him. You know? <laughs> he goes, all right. All right, damn it. 97. <laughs> so I go out. I make the kick. We win the game. And... Um, you know, in the brown back, mysteriously in my locker, here shows shows up the next morning a, a '97 Bryant Family Vineyards. But that's not the whole story. The uh, the NFL gets hold get, gets hold of this whole 
wine exchange. And they go, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. That's a salary cap issue. Oh, uh, that, counts, uh, that counts against the salary <laughs> cap. So, wink, wink, nod, nod, never received that bottle of wine. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that, that's my Kansas City story, and it's a true one, and I love it. There yeah. was one other one. Uh, my very first game as a chief would go to Cleveland, hot. And it's a high-scoring game, and, and – uh, you guys might remember the game. It's a game where, with no time left on the clock, zero zero zero, I had to kick a thirty-five yarder from the left hash to win it, because Trent Green had gotten back. He went back to pass, and it's desperation time. He, as he's getting sacked, he kind of throws it out to to a Tate offensive lineman, who scampers down the field. One of the Cleveland guys thinks the game's over, throws his helmet. Gets an unsportsman like 15 yards tagged onto Tate's offensive tackle running down the sideline. Uh, gets tagged onto his run, and you have an untimed play with no time left on the clock, and we win 38-35. It was nuts. Oh, boy. One of the craziest games I've been a part of. I don't know if you remember that one, but that was in 2002. Oh, that's a great. Yeah, I, I do remember that. Question I have: I remember the number. What was the number that you told me of how many games you had the last? Did they, how many kicks came out to the last play that you know wins or whatever? How many games were won on the last play of the game that you were in? Well, within two minutes, over forty. Um, but game winners, as by Elias Sports Bureau, one hundred and three. So, deciding points, fourth quarter, one hundred and three. Over 40, uh, 44, 40, I don't know the exact number at the end of the game. In other words, walk <laughs> off, walk off home run. Yeah. 103. Okay, so now take me, take me to the different coaches you were, you played for and uh, describe it quickly, you know, uh, when you, the Saints. Um, Bump Phillips, like a grandfather to me, liked to run his teams like family, was wonderful, drafted me, had patience with me, and really is the reason that I was able to develop at a very young age to be a pretty, you know, pretty good kicker. Jim Moore, senior, uh, disciplinarian, completely different than Bump Phillips. He came in and felt he had to do that to establish his own uh, type of regime along with Jim Finks. Uh, but uh, still loved playing for him. We had a lot of success with Jim Moore as as the coach. And, uh, you know, the departure from, from New Orleans to Atlanta was not pleasant for me, but it was in the infant stages of, of uh, salary cap, and a lot of guys didn't understand it. Jim Finks had passed away, and so it was it was left to the powers to be with the Saints to try to figure this out. I think if Jim Finks had still been alive, I would have been a Saint for the rest of my career. Having said that, we uh, June Jones, great to play for, uh, fun guy to play for uh, in in Atlanta, and then uh, Dan Reeves, um, Great, you know, had had probably my biggest single moment with him uh, to put us in the Super Bowl against the Vikings in '98. Um, just a wonderful man. Still friends with him. Still golf with him. Uh, let's see. Then we go to, to Jim Fossil in New York during 9/11 and 2001. That was a tough time for the country, but a very important time for the New York Giants to try to galvanize and try to help the city of New York get back to normalcy after the attacks at 9/11. Jim Fossil did a great job. I loved playing for him. Uh, I was only there one year. Played with uh, Michael Strahan and, and Tiki Barber, although Tiki just doesn't remember playing with me. I remember playing with him. Wow. 
And Dick Vermeil was uh, just a lovely coach. He was uh, he did fire me after the '03 season, and, and then, you know that's what he felt he had to do at the time. It wasn't popular with my family because I just signed a four-year deal a year before. But I love the man, and and we're great friends today. And then I went to uh, Mike Tice uh, in Minnesota, uh, probably my least favorite year. For, uh, I had two two young children back in Kansas City. We had bought a house there because um, we had a four year contract, but that was not to happen. Not to you know didn't finish there. So Minnesota was really just renting an apartment and flying back and forth to Kansas City to see my family. And then I'm out of football for 20 months, unemployed, kicking in a, in a public park. And Jim Moore Jr. gives me a chance. Uh, talk about coming full circle. Jim Moore Jr. gives me a chance to come back to football in 06 when I'm 46 years old. And I play for him. I set the scoring record in December of 06 and then come back in 07 and win the job again and play for uh, my least favorite coach of all time, uh, Mr. Petrino, who's now at the University of Louisville, who cowardly left on Monday night after telling the owner, Arthur Blank, oh, no, I'm your coach. He goes to Arkansas, and you can watch him on television go, sue, 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 sue. So uh, uh, what, what was it, Petrino, the, the coach like, you say, your least favorite? What was about him? And we know, uh, we know we, the character you know, part. We got the character. Well, well just, uh, I mean, he never came to the locker room. Never walked through there. If you if you had to talk to him, you had to make an appointment to see him. I mean, there was not an open door policy at all, uh, and just was not. Uh, he was what I would consider socially inept. Yeah. Um, just not very uh, well liked, and certainly didn't belong in the NFL. And good college coach, brilliant offensive coach. Not no argument there. It's just his. Uh, there's his social skills, his human skills, and his compassion that I, I didn't care. A lack of compassion, I should say, I didn't care for. Yeah, it sounds like a very insecure guy. Sounds real insecure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Talk. a lot of you know, yeah. a, a lot of a lot of people in this world yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, you true. put him in a place of power, it's really oh. a bad combination. What do you say? My, <laughs> my business. You're in my business. You, oh. You, oh boy. Oh, the Hollywood. Uh, talk Hollywood. Of, weird. <laughs> The, yeah. uh, I get you know, I, I, I I got the Oscars next week coming up. I've been I've been you know. Are you going? No, I'm not going. Uh, I, I always watch them. You know, I used to write them. I used to write them for Billy Crystal. Well, I love. Yeah, for, for what it's worth, I loved Arliss. I watched oh, it thanks. religiously. I thought it was just a great show, and it was well written, and and it had your. Did you write part of that show? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah well, of course. Bit, yeah. It's got your your humor all over. It. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, uh, but I watch show. the Oscars. They're all. I just wrote a piece for uh, some blog called Heat Street about yeah. uh, about the Oscar pools. You know, having your Oscar pool. Except this yeah. year. Except this year. Don't. It's not about the winners. If you have a tiebreaker, here's what you have. It's the over under on how many political speeches will be given at the Oscars. Oh, and I and I went well, down and I went down category by category because most of them are just happy yeah. to be there. You know, most. I mean, you to have. Right. You, but you know, documentaries. People are going to say something. I mean, they're documentary. What do you expect from them? You know, they're, they well, don't make any money. The Grammys. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the Grammys. And I, I, I would imagine that Mr. Hetfield from Metallica is pretty PO'd when his mic didn't work. How does that happen at a, at a show 
of the status it happens. Of, of the it, Grammys. If somebody doesn't get the sound right from Metallica to play with Lady Gaga, with, with it Saga, hap- it's amazing. Are you kidding me? Uh, it happens. It is amazing. And as far as oh, the, as, 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 as far as the politics, you know, I don't want to say that. You know, basically the academy goes it leans left, but all I know is that in every presenter's gift bag this year, it includes a Syrian refugee. That's. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Rob. That, that's I sent that to Kimmel. Let me see if he uses it. I sent it to Kimmel. I'll we'll see if he uses it. The, that's pretty uh, funny. Uh, that's funny. Well, I know what I want to ask you. <laughs> that's good. I, 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 uh, I know what I wanted to ask you. You're in the NFL Hall of Fame. You're in the New Orleans Hall of Fame. Are you in the Atlanta Hall of Fame? No, no, I'm not. And you're I'm the leading the scorer in New Orleans. You're the leading scorer, all-time scorer of Atlanta, the Atlanta uh, Falcons. No, no, actually, uh, Matt Bryant broke my uh, Falcons scoring record this year. Just oh. Yeah. Oh, so now. Sorry, yeah. Robert. Oh, man, I was going to. I gonna... can feel the air going out of the balloon. Uh, is the podcast over now? No, no. Hey, question. How'd you, <laughs> how'd you, obviously, I'm, I'm guessing you were rooting for Atlanta this year. Uh, I was, and I, I could not believe that being up 25 points, and man, I don't want to relive that, that we didn't run the ball, kick the field goal, and go up by 11. Hello? Hello. Hello. You know, there's no Sir. way. It really is very little way they could that New England can win the game unless Atlanta makes mistakes and mental mistakes. So I'm guessing that the kick that put you into the Super Bowl is that the best moment? Is that is that the, that was the biggest moment? The best moment was when I kicked an extra point to become the leading scorer and gave my jersey to my eight year old boy. And they stopped the game. Oh. Yeah. You know, when, anytime you can tug at the human heartstring, man, that's where I'm, that's where I'm going, you know? Okay, it was so, authentic, authentic and real and, and raw. Yeah. Let me, okay, so let, let me, you know, that's the high point. Is the low point 1996? The, ja, the Jaguar no, game? No, not at all. We were 3-13 and 13 or 2-13. and 13. No, not at all. I'll tell you what the low point was was my rookie year, my opening kickoff, and uh, we're playing the St. Louis Cardinals in the Superdome. I had had a dismal uh, preseason uh, campaign, and I, I needed to play well because I'm thinking, man, they, they're going to cut me, and I'm just, I just got here in the fourth round. And um, I uh, start running away from Randy Love, who won, ran, running towards me and wanted to crush me, and in, in the act of self-preservation, I ran the other way and snapped my ankle and tore my ligaments in my right ankle. I was out for eight weeks. That was my very first professional kick. And uh, so that was a low point thinking, I'm gone. I'm done. I'm gone before I even started. And the strike came in 82, and we had a strike, and it got me healthy again. And and Bum brought in Tony Fritz to play a couple games before the strike. And, and uh, when I was healthy, Jim Tyre, and Bum had the patience to stay with me, and then 83 was a great year for me. But I would say the toughest moment for me, uh, Jacksonville was a very unusual situation where I, my plant foot slipped about a foot. I fell on my behind, and, and the ball pushed left. It was great for Jacksonville, but really uh, insignificant. I know everybody remembers that kick because it put Jacksonville in the playoffs. But really, as far as a... Um, an important kick for my team. We were three and thirteen. We were yeah. going nowhere. Yeah, yeah. It actually helped us get a better draft. <laughs> so, cool. question so, about eighty-two. So, if you think 
had there not been a strike, you think he would have been cut? I think I might have gotten cut because I was 3 for 12 in preseason. I could kick the crap out of the ball, but nobody knew where I was going. Um, that came a little bit later, and I think 82 with Tony Fritz being there gave me the time to mature. He helped me, put, took me under his wing, under his leg, if you will, helped me, and Baum just said, you know, you're my guy in 83, and, and I was I was the guy for, for 13 years in New Orleans. And Boy. 25 years in the NFL, man. So, you know, it takes it t- it takes a village sometimes, and it takes patience on parts of people that have the big picture. And I certainly didn't at that time. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play. It. You're listening to Ipso Facto with Robert Wool. We always think about holders. Um, and uh, I, I heard you on with Mike Francesa on WFA in New York the other day, and you told the story. Tell us what you, know, what, what you expected of your holders. <laughs> well, Jason Garrett, who was the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys, was my holder in New York in 2001. And he was, he was apprehensive about it. He was the backup quarterback. And I understand you don't want to. You don't want to get your fingers crushed, and he he really hadn't held much. He said, "Well, how do you want the ball?" I said, "Well, ver- vertical would be nice." And um, he, he kind of laughed. I said, "No, I'm serious. I mean, get it up and down. Well, what about laces?" I said, well, "Less important than you not turning the ball when I'm kicking it because a ball that is turning on its end very difficult. It'll spin off your foot." So a ball that's stationary and vertical is the most important thing. Laces, less important. Unless they're 3 o'clock or 9 o'clock, then the ball weighs more on the side, and it will go that way a little bit. But if you hit a solid ball strike, vertical ball flight, the ball's not going to move uh, more than 2, 3, 4 feet, and that's the same in wind unless it's really blowing in Chicago or something. You aim for the middle, and the middle never changes. You have 18 feet 6 inches to go by, and if it moves 4 or 5 feet, you still have plenty of room. So it's kind of what I, I told my guys. This is what I need from you. Get me to the highest level. What do you need from me? And uh, I think that's what you should do. You should communicate powerfully, powerful, productive relationships based on powerful, productive communication. Who was the worst holder you ever had? Oh, I don't want to call anybody out, but I had a couple of guys who just were not invested and who were not very good listeners, and so I fired them very quickly. It, uh, it, it never got to the game. It was literally a practice decision. I said, I can't work with you. You're not willing to, uh, you know, not willing to do what I want to do. I'm not going to name names, but I've gone through, through a few of them. But when I found a good one, I would do anything to keep him. Uh, I, I'd buy him dinners. Mm-hmm. I'd do whatever it takes, man. Who were the best? Well, wait. When you got to the Pro Bowl, sometimes oh, you didn't have that luxury. No, I didn't. Uh, Joe Montana was one of the guys that held for me. He didn't want to, but nobody wanted to hold for me in the Pro Bowls because everybody was. I mean, it was a it was a vacation. I said, Joe, just let's just have some fun with it. And he he goes, well, he he asked me the how do you want the ball? And again, my question was predictable, vertical. And he said, okay, you don't care about anything else. I said, in this game, really not. Just don't lay it down horizontally flat because it's really tough to get height under a ball that's laying down, and that's not round. So, you know, we were fine, and he was very worried about me kicking his fingers. And um, 
um, I grazed him a couple of times, and I think he he never drooped his fingers down again. Um, he, he understood that when the ball, you know, when the foot comes through there with a hundred plus miles an hour, it's a good idea to get get your fingers out of the way, especially when you make your living throwing the football. Yeah, sure. So yeah, so you know, he uh, he totally uh, totally got it, and I think he enjoyed it. And we actually we had some success doing it. It was it was uh, it was fun with him. And, but mostly I did punters. You know, Dan Strasinski was unbelievable. He was the punter for the Chiefs and the uh, Falcons, and he was my—he was the best holder I ever had. He was unbelievable, unbelievable. Talking here with uh, new Hall of Famer Morton Anderson. Uh, what are you doing? Tell everybody what you're doing these days now. Now that you're new Hall of Famer, I know you're working. You have this whole company, and to talk about that. I do the event planning business, uh, golf business. I bring guys from Europe to uh, America on uh, high-end golf trips, and I bring American business executives to Europe on high-end golf trips for weeks at a time. And we do the Masters, we do fall trips, we do summer trips. Uh, so it's it's really, really fun. And uh, I do some consulting work. I do a lot of uh, keynote speaking, public speaking. Uh, I have a lot of fun with that. Uh, and uh, appearances, and just get out there. Um, I love I love my nonprofit, Morton Anderson Family Foundation. My wife and I started about seven years ago. We raise money for quality life programs for the children in Atlanta. So Boys and Girls Club, we're heavily involved with. Also, athletic programs. We help buy equipment uh, underprivileged children. We um, we do our special teams for special ops in the spring, where we raise money for our special ops soldiers and their families. And that was really born out of my experience in New York during 9/11 and seeing up close what happened, uh, you know, happened there. Not only there, but happened around the country and seeing Ground Zero up close. Um, I said, well, you know, I'm going to do something, my little part to to try to help. Uh, our special ops guys, our shadow warriors, if you will. So we've had quite a bit of success uh, raising some money for for them, and um, it sure is nice to be able to, 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 to have a platform to use it in the right way and, and to give back. We, we have a motto that says what you give will grow and what you keep will perish, and we try to live by that. So we just try to do good work, and I know there's so many other athletes out there and people uh, in general, that they do good work, and I encourage that. I think uh, if much is given to you, you have a ex- big responsibility to give back. Uh, I'll tell you a story. You, you mentioned um, you know being in New York during 9-11. Uh, let's see, so that's 17, well, 16 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And you remember the great, uh, my friend, the great sports writer, Dick Schapp? You probably knew Dick Schapp. Of course. Okay. I know Dick Schapp. Okay, right. So, so Dick has this regular... Monday night table at Rayo's. Okay, now you know Rayo's, Rayo's restaurant. Rayo's yeah. is this ultra exclusive Italian restaurant in uh, in New York, and I mean ultra exclusive. There's only like ten tables. Unfortunately, the owner Frankie Pellegrino just died last week, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, they just had his uh, they had a you know, celebration of him the other day. And I was on the West Coast, but it's all. I mean, there's no menu really. It's it's just there's ten tables there, and that's it. And you'd liable to be sitting. You'd have you'd have Morton Anderson at one table. You'd have uh, uh, the senator at another table. You'd have John Gotti at another table. I mean, it was like so. Dick, yeah. but Dick Schapp had a regular. Monday night table because you have your table. Well, he went in for he was unavailable because he went in for his hip replacement surgery. So he mm-hmm. gave the table to Bob Costas, myself, and journalist uh, Jeff Greenfield. Yeah. 
And so we had the best night. We were arguing everything and talking, solving all the world's problems and having a blast. And that night, it was a Monday night, and it was pouring. I mean, there was a downpour that night. I mean, you know, a major cloudburst pouring that night. The next day, it was uh, uh, gorgeous. It was, you know, it was visibility yeah. forever, and it was, yeah. 9, it was 9-11. Yeah, we, we played a Monday night game in uh, Denver. Yeah. Yeah, the and Giants. You, and you flew back? We came back. What time did you get back? We flew back 6 o'clock that morning, two flights away from Flight 93 that went down in Pennsylvania, United Flight. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. That's yeah. yeah that's that's. Uh, I, but everybody has a nine eleven, you know, story. If you were up there, yeah, that's true. And my wife was getting ready to get on a plane to Manchester, New Hampshire, to come down. We were trying to find a place to live, and everything shut down. And and I was tired. I was. I went to sleep, and she woke me up around uh, nine o'clock when the first plane hit the towers. Goes, you got to turn on CNN. Uh, or, you know, fought, whatever it was. Right, whatever it was, the news. Turn on the news. Turn on the news. Turn on the TV. I mean, he couldn't miss it. And I did. And I saw, I looked out. I was staying right there in, in Jersey. I looked over. Yeah. And you could see the smoke coming out of the world. Oh, well, he was... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was down there uh, handing out sandwiches and with the uh, for the uh, responders and everything. Unbelievable. It, it was... It's, yeah, you don't forget that. Hey, let me get no. back to football for a second. Now that yeah. you're in the Hall of Fame, who's the player... And I don't mean kicker. I mean, who's the player or two or three, whoever comes to mind, who you think really is someone who should get serious consideration, if not be in the Hall of Fame, who you would lobby for? For the best I would lobby. For the best best players you played with. Yeah, well, Sam Mills, and he's gone, unfortunately. He was part of the Dome Patrol. He was special. He was a real special player. And um, Clay Matthews. Senior, he played for 19 years. He was a linebacker at Cleveland, Atlanta. Wonderful player, great player. Um, those are my favorites. You know, I don't know if I, was, I can't argue for or against the, the Hall, but to me, they would be great represent, representatives of, of what a Hall of Fame player would look like. Um, so there, there's there's a ton of guys out there, and I know it, you know sometimes it doesn't seem fair with this guy, and there's always going to be discussion. Yeah, who, who's deserving and who's not, and I think it's important every year when the class is announced that we don't uh, we don't diminish the class by. Oh yeah, yeah, this yeah, guy, yeah, this yeah, guy, this guy, yeah, this guy. Yeah. But celebrate, celebrate the guys that got in. Be happy on their behalf. Yeah, and and then move on. Um, and you know who I'm talking about, but. Um, I, I think that's important. I think that's the classy, right way to do it. Um, instead of always, you know, right. playing well, playing the bitter card. Well, here's the thing: is that I've had this discussion on baseball Hall of Fames and every Hall of Fames. And I said, you know, if, 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 if here's the thing: is like, there are guys whose numbers and like then pure numbers, mm. su- you would suggest they need to be in the Hall of Fame. And I would say yes, okay. However, there's some guys that I would say I might vote for them for the Hall of Fame, but I wouldn't want them on my team. Yeah. 
You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I, it's like, I, so, I hear you. I so hear you. Is that, I mean, I heard, you know, I just heard the other day, Bill Parcells and uh, uh, who was the other one? Um, the coach of the Chiefs now, uh, Andy um, Reid. Andy Reid. Talking about, uh, talking about Terrell Owens. They both said he huh. should be, you know, yeah, they should be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want him on my team, though. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. it, it's one of those, but there are guys like that. There are guys, you know, uh, you know, yeah. usually, usually in the prima donna positions, though. Usually, you know. <laughs> uh, well, at the end of the day, you should be you should be judged on what you did on the field. And I think, uh, in the case of T.O., he'll get his time. You know, he'll he will be in the hall. I just don't think he's helping his his cause by uh, by going to Twitter and social media and then bashing the current class and bashing uh, the process and the voters. I don't just don't think that's the way to do it. Yeah, you know it's funny is uh, you'd say, but it should only come down to what's on the field. And sometimes I say, yeah, but can I? Can you make a case for Pat Tillman in the Hall of Fame? See, I can. I, you know, that's you know, it, it's there are exceptions, and yeah. and I and I would say Pat Tillman is the exception. Yeah, I, well, he was a great American. I yeah. mean, he was the ultimate paid the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, you know, I should he do I do, do would I think that that would diminish the Hall of Fame that Pat Tillman there? No, I don't. No, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. You no, know, I can see I, other people argue another way, and I respect it, but uh, I don't get that. Yeah. I think. Well, you know, he was great. He was a great American and uh, a very good player. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Martin, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I uh, hope you had a good time. I, wish I had you- a great time with you, as always, Robert, and uh, appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. Listen, if you need me for one of those golf outings, let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll do it for you, for sure. Uh, okay. Anytime. Yeah, man. Okay, brother. Yeah. Okay, I'll take we'll it. do it. Okay, thank appreciate you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, Thanks, Hall of Fame member, the great Morton Anderson. Terrific guy, and uh, you learn a lot. You, you know, you learn a lot from that guy. You can, you know, it's like he talks about craft, about holders. I mean, I love the idea when he just said, "I like the ball vertical," and yet if it's not vertical, I have to make the adjustment. Always, he always said, "I always aim for the center. The center never moves." He always told me, "The center never moves." If a ball goes three, four, five feet one way or the other, you still got eight feet on either side, or just about. So he would, you know, he's. Something special. Anyway, uh, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, This is Ipso Facto. I'm Robert Wall. Have a great day.